0: Well, good morning, church. Our scripture reading this morning will be from the book of Jonah, chapter 1. If you're using one of the pew Bibles in front of you, you will find that on page 774. As you make your way to the end of the Old Testament, you'll find a series of very short books that we call the Minor Prophets, and you will go through Joel and Amos and Obadiah, and there you'll find Jonah. If you hit Micah and Nahum, you have gone too far. Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to read today beginning in verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 3. Beginning in 117, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me, and then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped. About my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, as we study your word together this morning, I pray that you would guide us into all truth. I pray that you would protect us from error. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand anew the words in these verses. And that, Father, beyond understanding them, that you, by your Spirit, would apply them to our lives so that we are changed. Father, may your message of salvation be proclaimed clearly this morning. May your call upon our lives to be more like Christ be proclaimed clearly this morning. I pray, Father, that you would use this time in our lives. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are uh, certain days that seem to get etched into our memories. And I can remember this day vividly. Uh, Some 30 years ago now, I remember the room that I was in. I remember the Bible that I picked up. I remember reading through Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then getting to the portion of Genesis chapter 3 where the snake talks to Eve And despite the fact that I had been in church my whole life, that I had been in Sunday school and under the teaching of the Word for then some 18 years, somehow that day, reading that, I thought, this is a snake talking to a lady. I am too smart for this. And I remember closing that Bible and setting it down and saying, I am done with all of this. I am done with this faith. I am done with everything that I have been taught. I most certainly don't believe that a snake talked to a lady. I most certainly don't believe Noah in the ark. I don't believe Moses in the Red Sea. And there is no way that I believe Jonah in the whale. And isn't it interesting? Isn't it ironic that God in His grace these 30 years later would bring me not only? to have the privilege to preach again, but to have the privilege to speak to this specific text and not to present it to you as just a Bible story, but to proclaim it to you as literal history. What we're going to read today is not just an account of a story that is very old. It is an account of history that is very old that happened just the way that the Scriptures have recorded it. And I am thankful to God that in His grace He has brought me to this place. We work really hard every week that we come together to find some way to summarize what we're going to study. And through the course of my study, I came across a verse in Psalm that was very, ha- very helpful to that end. If you'd bring that up, guys, Psalm chapter 50 and verse 15 reads like this, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, And you shall glorify me. This verse is a very good summary of the the verses that we're going to study together today. We see Jonah in physical distress calling out to God in the day of trouble and God delivering him. But the verse doesn't stop there. It says, Call out to me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. And that is the end game, that is the goal, that is the objective. And we see Jonah glorifying God for his physical salvation as we work through this chapter. If I were to try to paraphrase where we're going, I would do it like this. God answers us in mercy to make us merciful. God answers us in mercy to make us merciful. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that God has this work of sanctification that He does in our lives. He desires to make us holy as He is holy in one very, practical uh, outworking of that is God's desire to make those of us who have experienced his mercy people of mercy. So there's the big picture for today. We're going to cover a lot of ground and we will do it under four headings. We'll talk first of all about the great fish. We'll talk about Jonah's prayer. We'll talk about the word of the Lord. And then finally, the sign of Jonah. So let's begin with the great fish. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we have uh, read an overview fashion, the entire book of Jonah. Uh, You know that there are four chapters here. If you grew up in Sunday school, you might be surprised to find that the great fish gets very little press as we go through this book. Really only mentioned in a couple of verses. Mentioned in passing once in chapter 2, but really, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 17, we read this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, stated very delicately here. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Four chapters of this account of the book of Jonah, and there are the verses that relate to the great fish. But this seems to be where we camp out in our Sunday school classes, and our flannel graph charts, and in all of our children's storybooks, we, we camp out on the great fish, but he's barely mentioned here. So let's just start by saying this, the great fish is not the star of the show in the book of Jonah. He's not intended to be the star of the show in the book of Jonah. He is a tool that God uses in Jonah's life in a very powerful and unexpected way. We see that in chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So in the second place here, we see that the fish is appointed by God to save Jonah. As we work our way through this chapter today, don't see the fish as an instrument of God's judgment. The judgment is getting thrown into the stormy sea. The judgment is sinking down to the bottom with seaweed wrapped around his head. The judgment is nearly dying. The fish is God's salvation in his life. The fish is a tool that God uses to save him from physical death. So what about this? Because I told you that 30 years ago I really struggled with this whole thing. And many people struggle with this, and at this point in the message, some of you may be thinking, you can't really be presenting this as history, right? Surely this is allegory, surely this is an old fable of some sort, but it's not. This is a historical narrative. And if you're struggling with that this morning, I would pose to you the same question that I posed to my Sunday school class just a few weeks ago, as we studied another great miracle in the Bible. The God that you worship, the God that you have come here today to worship, is He all-powerful or, or is He just pretty strong? Is He omnipotent? Is, is He able to do anything that He pleases? Or does He just occasionally have a day where He does something that's kind of cool? As I was reading through various commentaries studying for today, I came across an account of a, a boy that came home from Sunday school, and he said, Dad, I, I just can't believe what they taught me today. And, and the dad said, well, what was the lesson about? And he said, well, it was about Jonah and the great fish. And the dad said, well, that's interesting. What, what is it about that story that you're struggling with? And the boy said, come on, Dad. A man in the belly of a fish for three days? There's just no way that that happened. And the dad said, you know what? That is an amazing story. There are some things there that are incredible. Can I tell you what really blows my mind? What really blows my mind is what happened some pages earlier in the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures at the very beginning, they say this. They say that there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. And that God spoke. And that everything that we know came to be. The world spun into orbit. He spoke and the land and the sea are separated. He spoke and everything that fills the sea was created from nothing. Out of the dust of the ground he formed man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Stunning, beyond our imagination. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He spoke and everything that we know came to be. Nothing is too difficult for him. So you come to this with that backdrop. Backdrop. That he is the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. He spoke everything that lives into the sea in existence. If that is who he is, why does it boggle our minds to think he could order one of those that he has created to go on this mission for him? If he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, why does it boggle the mind to think that for three days and three nights he could keep this man alive in the belly of the fish? He is the Lord God Almighty, and he does as he pleases, and nothing is too difficult for him. The fish is not the star of the show. The fish is appointed by God to save Jonah. In the third place I would offer this, the fish provided alternate transportation to Nineveh. (laughs) You'll recall the story from earlier weeks. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I'm not going. He flees. He gets on a boat to go the other direction to Tarshish. I have three-year-old twin boys at home. Very often, you can come over tonight and watch this. We will say, "Aiden and Benjamin, it's time to go to bed. And typically what happens is joyful obedience and compliance, and they run right up the stairs. (laughs) Often what happens is there's flight, and we're moving in the opposite direction from the stairway, and we're running to various corners of the house. And we're finding toys. And at that point, my wife and I intervene in the lives of our three-year-olds, and we provide alternate transportation (laughs) to the bedroom. That is in a very real sense what's happening here. God has said to one of his kids, here's where you're going to go. And his kid said, I'm not going. And the Lord said, yes, you are. And the Lord sends the fish, and the fish picks up Jonah and takes him to exactly the place that God would have him to go. This is an interesting study, isn't it, in this notion of uh, free will, that we're free to do anything that we want to do. I think if you had asked Jonah, he would tell you with certainty that it was not his will to go to Nineveh. Have you picked up that theme in the story so far? It is not his will to go to Nineveh, but the Lord has spoken and he's going. Friends, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you are living in open rebellion to something that God has clearly said you are called to do, at this point I offer a word of warning At this point, if Jonah were here, he would offer a word of warning. He would say, you better buckle in. And you say, Kurt, God has never come to me and, and told me to go anywhere and proclaim the word of the Lord. And I would ask, first of all, is that right? Are you sure? And I would say, secondly, that book that you hold in your hand, it is the word of the Lord to you. And he has spoken over and over again specifically into so many areas of our lives that are not hard to understand you don't need a degree in theology he has spoken and he has spoken clearly and friends if you're here today and you're a follower of jesus christ and you're living in open rebellion to what your father has told you to do he won't have it and buckle in because he will get you to where you need to go and i think jonah if he were here he would say friends Go in joyful obedience, and don't go through this experience that I have gone through. The great fish is not the star of the show. He is appointed by God to save Jonah. He provided alternate transportation to Nineveh, and here we will just list briefly that the great fish and Jonah's experience in the fish, it points to a greater miracle, and we will come back there today before we are done. The majority of the verses in this section, uh, beginning in chapter 2, cover Jonah's prayer. So let's work through this together. This reads very much like one of the Psalms. There is much to cover here, and let's just begin in chapter 2, verse 2, where we see his prayer begin. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So let's state here, by way of summary, that God answered him in his time of distress. God answered Jonah in his time of distress. And I want to submit to you that this is fundamentally good news. This is fundamentally good news because Jonah is not in an ideal place here spiritually when he cries out. As a matter of fact, Jonah is in a place of blatant rebellion. Against God. And he calls out to God in his time of distress, and God hears him, and God answers. And that is fundamentally good news. There is this myth, there is this lie, there is this very dangerous notion that, boy, as soon as I get things straightened out in my life, as soon as I get things cleaned up, as soon as I make things pretty much perfect in my life, then I'll cry out to God. And that is a lie of the enemy. That is a dangerous lie to believe, and we don't see Jonah doing that here. Frankly, he doesn't have time for that, right? He cries out to God from the place that he is, moving from a place of rebellion against God, and God hears him and answers him, and that is fundamentally good news. Look at verse 3. He says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. You can observe here in the second place that God had cast him into the deep. You think, well, wait a minute. We just studied chapter 1. The sailors threw him into the deep. And that's true. And both are true. Those sailors were instruments in God's hand. They were tools of God's judgment in Jonah's life. As they pick him up and throw him into the sea, as he plummets down to the depths, this is God's judgment on his rebellious child. It is his hand of judgment. And can I just echo what we just said? Jonah is in a place of rebellion, under the judgment of God. And he calls out to God. And God hears him. And God answers. And God saves him. Look with me at verse 3. I'm sorry, we just did that. So why don't we look at verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Let's just pause there. I am driven away from your sight. What will we observe about that verse? I would observe this. That when he says, I am driven away from your sight, that God here has given him exactly what he said he wanted. Jonah says, I am driven away from your sight. And that ought to echo in your mind back to chapter 1. Because when Jonah took off to run the other direction, he was fleeing from what? Anyone remember? The presence of the Lord. I'm going to flee from the presence of the Lord. That is what I want. All I want somehow is to get out of God's view. To get someplace where God can't see me. I want this relationship to be broken. I don't want any more to do with him. I want to be cut off. And here he feels it. As the waters begin to fold over him, he cries out in his soul, not in joyful celebration, but in sheer panic. I am driven from the presence of the Lord. I am driven from your sight. I am cut off. And having received what he thought he wanted, look how his soul cries out. Verse 4 says, I I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He gets finally what he thought he wanted. And having gotten there, realizes it's not what he wanted at all. And that what he really wants, what he really needs, what he really longs for, is fellowship with God in his temple, hearing his word with his people. Verses 5 and 6, we see here uh, that God saves him from certain death. Read these words the waters closed in over me to take my life the deep surrounded me weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains i went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever and yet you brought up my life from the pit this scene is terrifying As you make your way through the progression in these verses, you see him struggling at the surface of the water. As the waves and breakers come over him, as he is cast into the sea, we see him sinking down. As if things aren't terrifying enough, you get this imagery of seaweed getting wrapped around his head as he's going to the bottom. He gets to the bottom and feels the bars of death closing in over him, and then he is saved. And then he is rescued, just in time, as he is about to die. In the most unexpected way, God steps in and saves him. And he saves him, maybe not all at once in a dramatic fashion like Jonah would have chosen. He's not teleported to the beach in Nineveh. He's saved in stages here, taken from the depths of the water, to the unexpected safety of the belly of the fish. God doesn't always save in the way that we would expect, doesn't always save in the way that we would vote for, but He saves just in time and in His way and according to His perfect plan. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. Boy, there's been a lot written on that last verse there. As you, as you work your way through this text and this reference to idols seems kind of random. Where did this come from? Why are we talking about idols all of a sudden? And you can read those that think, well, he must be referring back to the sailors in the ship and they must have been idol worshipers and that must be what this is all about. Or maybe he's looking ahead to Nineveh and they were idol worshipers and maybe that's what this is all about. I don't think any of that is necessary because I don't think this is this complicated. The previous verse says, I remembered the Lord. I bet he did. God has just rescued him in dramatic fashion. And I think as he is snatched from the jaws of death, As God saves him in this dramatic and unbelievable way, what Jonah is saying here is there is only one that can save like this. Any other God that you have, any other false God, any other idol, throw them into the fire. Because there is only one who can save like this, and he is the Lord God Almighty. And then we get to verse 9 very significant verse. Matter of fact, this entire sermon series we have titled after the last phrase in this verse. He says, but with the voice of thanksgiving I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And you read that and you want to say yes. Yes, Jonah. Jonah. We are so glad that you see this. Yes, Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord. Yes, Jonah, we rejoice with you that this truth is dawning in your heart and mind. But we read the whole book together just a couple of weeks ago. And I'm not going to steal sermons from Kevin and John here over the next couple of weeks. But here's the thing. He is so thankful that His physical salvation has come. But he is not yet to the point in his life where he is rejoicing that God's message of salvation should go even to his enemies. We're miles and miles from there. Jonah here rejoicing in the physical salvation that has come to him. Still struggling with the broader things that must be taught. Look with me at chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and we will consider here in the third place the word of the Lord. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, read like this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Three observations under this heading. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You understand that if God had never spoken, we would know nothing about him. If he had never spoken in creation, if he had never spoken in the incarnation through Jesus, if he had never given us his word, if God doesn't speak, we know nothing of him. But God has spoken. And as I, I looked at this phrase, studying this text, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I couldn't get past the stunning grace of that. I couldn't get past the magnitude of that. Because the fact that the word of the Lord has come to us at all is a gift of His mercy. It is a gift of tremendous magnitude. It is beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine that the God of heaven has spoken to us. The God of heaven spoke to Jonah. That was an incredible gift. And Jonah rebelled against it. And then God in His grace comes and speaks to Jonah a second time. If you're here this morning, and you have, through the course of your life, had someone explain to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose again, that we might have eternal life. If that word of the Lord has come to you, that is a great and precious gift. That is incredible grace and mercy from the hand of God. It is a gift beyond your imagination, and it is stunning to walk away from that gift that has been offered. If the word of the Lord then has come to you a second time, If you have rejected that word and it has come to you a second time, that is His unbelievable mercy and grace. Maybe if, like me, you sat in this room, kind of back over there, for years and years and years and heard over and over again the gospel of Jesus Christ and rejected it day after day after day after day, week after week, year after year after year. It is God's incredible mercy that He continued to offer that great gift of salvation to me. Friends, if this gift is being offered, this Word of God is coming into your life, I would beg of you, I would implore you today not to walk away from this grace and mercy if His Word has come to you again. Chapter 3, verse 2 reads like this. The Lord says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. It should not surprise us to see that the message from the Lord is the same. The message from the Lord is the same. The message from the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, because the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you have walked away from Him, if you have rejected His instruction, you're going to find that when you come back, He is the same Lord and His instruction is still the same. The mission from the Lord is the same, but the response from the prophet is very different. It says here, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Well, I would think so, right? After what he has been through. He rebelled against the Lord once. The Lord sent a great fish to swallow him up. He had to be thinking, if I rebel against the word of the Lord again, I wonder what will come and eat me next. Maybe it is time to get up and obey the word of the Lord. And we see him do that. What we see Jonah do here is move from a place of disobedience to a place of compliance. Later chapters will reveal that what has not happened is Jonah has not moved from a place of disobedience to a place of joyful obedience, where he is joyfully embracing the mission that God has for him, where he is joyfully embracing the word of the Lord. And that being said, the Lord is not done with Jonah. And that being said, if that is where you are this morning, if you have moved from a place of disobedience to a place of compliance, then the Lord is not done, and his work is not finished. We have talked about the great fish and about Jonah's prayer and about the word of the Lord. And I want to focus finally on the sign of Jonah. And you say, Well, I don't see those words here in this text. And you would be absolutely right. Matter of fact, you'd have to move forward in your Bible and we will put it on the screen here. Might be a little bit of an eye chart. You can join me if you'd like in Matthew chapter 12, or you can follow along on the screen. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. This scene from the life of Jesus. And then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it What is the sign of Jonah? It's interesting as you study his life and try to draw some comparison and contrast between Jonah's life and the life of Jesus. There are several interesting things along the way. You can see that Jonah initially refuses to go to a distant and sinful people. But Jesus left heaven for earth to bring a message of salvation to a distant and sinful people. By way of comparison, we could say both proclaimed a message of repentance. By way of contrast, we could see that their their heart for their audience is radically different as that message of repentance is proclaimed. And while all that is interesting, none of that answers the question. And thankfully, Jesus answers it for us himself there in Matthew chapter 12. The sign itself is straightforward, the sign of Jonah. And the sign is this... One who should be dead is alive. The sign of Jonah is this, that one who should be dead is alive. If we had been on the ship with Jonah, if we had been one of the sailors that picked him up and threw him into the water, if we had watched him disappear into that stormy sea, if somehow we had been able to peer into the water and we had seen him swallowed by that great fish, and then one day goes by, and then two days go by, and then three days go by. You know what happens, right? The news coverage of the event begins to change. This is no longer a search and rescue mission after three days. The Coast Guard is called off and things begin to shift to a memorial because there is no way three days later that this man is alive until he burst in unexpected and dramatic fashion onto the beach there in Nineveh, and he's alive. Jesus Christ, beaten within an inch of his life, placed on a cross, nails driven into his wrist and his ankles, bleeding out suffocating on the cross, a spear driven into his side, dying there on the cross in the presence of all the witnesses that were there, placed in a tomb with a stone rolled in front of it. And then one day goes by, and two days go by, and three days go by, and all hope is lost, and there is no way that he is alive until he bursts onto the scene, until the stone is rolled away, until he emerges from the tomb, the Lord of life, risen, alive, and living forevermore. This is the sign of Jonah. As miraculous as what happened to Jonah is, it is only a pointer to something greater. And that greater thing is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 30 years ago when I was struggling, 30 years ago when I had rejected the faith, God sent a godly man into my life who said, hey, let's quit playing around the edges here. Let's quit talking about snakes, talking to ladies. Let's quit talking about Noah and the ark, and let's quit talking about Jonah and the whale. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's get to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if you can convince yourself this never happened, you can walk away from the faith and be done because everything that we believe collapses without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're struggling with some of these same things, let me, let me challenge you as I was challenged. Look at what happened in the first century. Look from the pages of world history. Watch Christianity explode onto the scene of world history into the first century. Why did that happen? Well, his, his followers in particular, these few guys, they took this message all over the world. And what was the message? The message was that Jesus died for our sins and that he did indeed die and that he rose again to eternal life. And these guys separated from one another, scattered all over the world, one by one faced their death. And the way out was simple. Recant. Say this whole thing's a lie. Say that Jesus is dead and in a grave somewhere. And to the man, they face death and go to their own death because they cannot deny what they have seen. Jesus has risen from the grave. Why don't His enemies produce His body? Why don't they parade it down Main Street in Jerusalem and say, Here is your Lord. Because they can't. Because He is not in the grave. Because He is risen. And because He is risen. Everything changes. Everything that he ever said about who he was and why he was here is validated. Death is defeated. Eternal life can be ours. Eternal life with the Father, with our sins forgiven. It changes everything. As miraculous as what happened to Jonah is, friends, it is only a pointer. It is to take us not just to Nineveh, but to the empty tomb and to our risen Savior. I want to take you back to where we started, to these words of summary. But I want you to look at this verse now through a different lens. True enough that Jonah called out to God in his physical distress, and God heard him, and Jonah then proclaimed salvation belongs to the Lord, and he glorifies the Lord. All of that is true. But can we go a little deeper here and look through another lens? Friends, the greatest trouble that you have is the sin that separates you from God. I don't know what problem you walked in here wrestling with. I don't know what burden you carried in here, what traumatic life circumstances you are enduring. There is no greater problem that you have than the sin that will separate you from God forever. That is your trouble. And the beauty of the gospel is this, that even in that place, of your sin, even in that place of your rebellion, even in that place of God's judgment, you can call upon God, and because of Christ, He will deliver you. That is the good news. And having delivered you, you will glorify Him. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, if you have never come to the cross with your sin, if you have never come to the empty tomb to learn about eternal life, we would love nothing more than to share with you the best news that we have ever heard, the news that changed my life, the news that changed the lives of so many of us that are gathered here today. Don't leave here today thinking, well, this word of the Lord will come to me again. Do not reject the word of the Lord. Look at someone in the pew next to you. Come talk to me. Come talk to Kevin. Anyone who is up here on the stage. Do not leave here today having rejected the word of the Lord. And then by way of summary, in the second place, we said this, God answers us in mercy to make us merciful. And we say, yeah, I sure wish Jonah had figure this out. Jonah's really not a very bright guy. God has shown this great mercy to him, and he can't figure out that he should show mercy to other people. Let's shift the lens again, can we? And let's look in the mirror. And my brothers and sisters, if you are here today and you have been to the cross and you have been to the empty tomb and you have experienced the mercy of God, it is wonderful and it is great that we can gather together and say, Dear God, we praise you for saving me. We should be thankful that he saved us. But friends, God has not done in our lives, he has not done in our church until we move to a place where we say this mercy that has been poured into our lives It's not just for us. It is for everyone. For our neighbors, for our friends, for our families, for our co-workers, for our enemies. To the people that we have the hardest time accepting. The people that we have the hardest time loving. Friends, God has saved us in his mercy to make us merciful. Hear these words again from Psalm 50, 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Friends, I'm going to ask you uh, here in just a moment just to bow your heads in a moment of silence. If you've never come to Jesus for salvation, today is the day of salvation. Call out to Him. Ask Him to... Forgive you of your sins. Say, I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And the scriptures say that you will be saved. And if you do that today, don't leave here, please, without talking to one of us. And friends, if you know him and you're living in rebellion against him, don't assume you can work this out next week. Hear the word of the Lord. Do business with the Lord today. Please bow your heads with me. I'll give you a few moments in silence. And then we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you today for the amazing assurance that even if we are in sin, even if we are under your judgment, we can call out to you in our distress, and you will hear us, and you will save us so that we might glorify you. Father, I pray that we would not turn away from your word. Father, that all who are gathered here today, if there are any gathered here today who have never bowed the knee to your word of salvation, that they would do that today. Father, for those who name the name of Christ and who might be living in rebellion to your word, I pray that today is the day that you would break their hearts and change their minds. Father, take this truth and burn it into our hearts. Help us to walk out of here today not just knowing more about your word, but having been changed. Father, we ask for your Spirit's help in this. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends. You're dismissed.